0: hello and welcome to the spirit world center the following is the spirit world center podcast if you have any questions about the spirits or training you can visit our website at spiritworldcenter.com and now please enjoy the show Welcome to the Spirit World Center. Today, I'm joined by Astrea Taylor. She is a pagan witch and author, and she has written intuitive witchcraft and also modern witchcraft with the Greek gods. And she's here to talk about her spiritual path, her writings, and also a lot of interesting spiritual and paranormal experiences that she's had over her life. Astrea, thank you so much for being here.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. I love this podcast, and I love the experience, the the opportunity to talk about all these spooky experiences I've had in my life.
0: Ah, It's fantastic to have you here. So, Estrella, to start off, what is your spiritual path and your practices? What what do you do, and how is that reflected in your writings?
1: So, yeah, um, I identify as a pagan witch, and um, I've had a lot of experiences with the gods, with spirits, with uh, um, the other world, as I just like to call it, because you know it's it's this vast other world that uh, I feel like interacts with ours a lot, especially when we're kids. And I had a very spooky childhood that really kind of made me want to know more about what was happening, what I was seeing, what I was experiencing. And so, from a young age, I started researching the world's religions, trying to figure out like who could, which ones could help me know, like what could help me explain like what it happens and give me some insights on how I can deal with it. And really, it wasn't until I learned about witchcraft, which was one of the last religions slash spiritualities that I researched, that things started to make sense. They had answers for me. Um, there was a belief in energy, belief in spirits, a belief in the gods. And in a lot of ways, I became a witch to really learn how to protect myself and also gain confidence in dealing with the other world that I was interacting with on a pretty regular basis. So it taught me a lot about ways I can work with them and um, you know how not to be afraid of what was happening.
0: Right. So your path into, into witchcraft wasn't just intellectual, right? It wasn't like, Oh, this seems like I resonate with it. I'll read this, and but rather there were things going on in your life where it was like, okay, this answers these things. And not only does it answer what's going on, but it gives me strategies for how to deal with it.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I think all children have experiences with the other world with energy, with spirits, but I really feel like the other world came for me. <laughs> they showed up early and often, and I've had a lot of just weird experiences that just could not be explained until I learned about the fae. Until I learned about what happens, you know, with deities and like uh, what an ecstatic experience is. So it answered so many of those questions, and um, I'm really grateful that there was a body of knowledge out there for me to learn from. And so that's what I kind of try to impart in a lot of my works, like how you can navigate a lot of this kind of stuff, Um, both from like a a perspective of learning from the traditions and history, but also making it your own practice, Um, because I think that's super important as well.
0: Right, with a title like intuitive witchcraft, it must be uh finding your own path into these things, right? Not necessarily doing exactly what someone else has been doing traditionally for so many years, right? Not this copy and paste from the past, but finding your own way in, right?
1: Yeah. Um and you know, if, if somebody wants to copy and paste, that's great. I think you know, what, use whatever works. But um, you know, a lot of the books have like these herbs that are hard to find, or they're expensive. Or, um, you know, you call upon these gods that you never ever worked with. Or um, they're, they're just things that don't make a lot of sense to us modern practitioners, like we're speaking in a foreign language, like I don't know what that means, what I'm saying. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly. I really don't want to summon something weird, you know. So um, using um, the modern landscape and a modern persona to craft what's meaningful to us, and um, so there are um, historical like correspondences with the elements and stuff, and they're like, "In this plant corresponds with this element, corresponds with this phase of the moon," and you can't do it that way. You have to, you know, call upon Venus at this hour. And I really feel like um, that's great. That's a great system, but we're also in this modern age, and if you know, you don't really associate the flower of jasmine with venus then you shouldn't or if you just have a bad experience with uh something like i i had a past life memory where i was forced to pick chamomile flowers and everyone's like oh use chamomile in your calming spells and your whatever and i'm like no that's i'm never gonna do that i don't like chamomile it makes me angry actually so i had to choose and find my own paths and so i call um, you know, whatever we believe, whatever we associate, you know, the herbs and the colors and whatnot, whatever we associate with them, the goals like love or spirituality, or whatever goals you have for your spells, I call those personal correspondences because they're personally relevant. They're still uh, magical correspondences, but you didn't necessarily learn it from a book. If you did uh, and it's, you know still is the same thing, that's great. And I think that reaffirms some of the personal gnosis that people had uh, eons ago when, when that kind of association started up. But it doesn't necessarily have to be what's in the book. You know, it's like uh, being a cook, like, uh, you know, you can use the recipe, but then you can be like, you know what, we're not going to use cilantro because it tastes like soap to me. (laughs) We're going to use something else and it changes it and it makes it better for you. That's, that's how I believe. That's how I practice.
0: I completely agree. In fact, something I'm always telling people is don't rely too heavily on like, dream dictionaries right these books that that tell you okay this is what the the symbols in your dream mean i always say like yeah fine you can use it as a starting point right it can give you a way in cultural culturally maybe this is what people are seeing an elephant meaning but at the same time let's say the spirits are talking to you through your dreams right well okay they're talking to you. They're talking to you with your own particular spiritual vocabulary, with your own meanings. If you had a, a memory of going to the zoo when you were five with your grandmother and elephants are now inherently connected to your grandmother, go with that meaning when you're trying to interpret your dream and not what some Freudian understanding that was written in the 1930s is saying, right? It's about you and your own lexicon and not necessarily this this common uh, cultural understanding.
1: Exactly. And you bring up a good point. You do have to consider the source of some of this, and it wasn't always necessarily a very great source. Uh, and when we come up with our own personal correspondences, we give power to ourselves. And I feel that really helps to eradicate some of the imposter syndrome that a lot of people feel in life. It's like, no, I know what I feel about this herb. I know what I feel about this crystal or whatever you're going to use. Um, and I know how I feel about this intention or this spell because I wrote it myself and I like it. This is what I want. This is what I need. It's not a foreign language that's confusing and weird. <laughs> this is, uh, and, and this kind of magic works too, just as much as any other kinds of magic that could be out there. Um, I just think it's a lot easier too. <laughs> it's, it's more like, what do I have in the cupboards? What do I need? You know, as opposed to, well I have to go to the store tomorrow and get Dipney of Crete, whatever that is, you
0: know. It's odd the cooking analogy that you use because that's that's always been my approach to cooking as well. I cannot stand going out and getting everything for a recipe. I like to understand like the basic principles going on in how foods interact in a recipe, and you know, okay, you want to have some acids with some sweets or something like that. But then I just open up the 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 cupboards and I see what do I have, and then yeah, you get creative. You can create anything, right? Uh, and and with magic, I've always I've always thought you know it comes down to intention and all these pieces in the recipe are just ways of expressing that intention and so if it's something that resonates with you best if you're using this piece of symbol to to express yourself in a way that really resonates with yourself that's going to be all the better isn't it
1: yeah so i think that witchcraft and magic is about externalizing that intense and bringing that intent into even greater focus and even greater being because you're materializing what's in your mind. So it is all about intent. Uh, and I feel like you don't even need any of the physical objects necessarily, but it can be helpful, especially if you're first learning. If you want that extra boost in power, you know, yes, use the lavender oil. Yes, use that moon water that you charged under the Pisces full moon we had recently. Um, and that can help you Even uh, you know, I don't want to say it's all um, from a psychosomatic point, but there's that as well that you're adding to all of these things. So it's really powerful, I think. Uh, And I developed some of my first spells when I was a kid, knowing that I could, uh, knowing that I could um, uh, change the world a little bit with my intention that way. So. Um, I started doing, I think my, one of my first spells was a puppet spell for friendship. And I had two little statuettes and they were on opposite sides of this plate. And I put the plate out in the sunshine, well, on my windowsill in the sunshine. And every day I would move them closer and closer and closer. And I would say, I would speak my intention to have, you know, a best friend again, because my best friend had to move away. And so, um. I think by the seventh day, the hands were touching, you know, these two little statuettes that I had, and I found a new friend that day. Um, That's this, I I included that spell in a book written by Jason Mankey. So uh, I think it's really powerful when we can, you know, when we have the ability to like bring our ideas into the physical form and then, you know, influence what's happening with the world around us too.
0: I love it. I love it. And so circling then back to your childhood, where already you were creating friendship spells at a young age, um, what were some of the the spooky experiences that were happening that made you realize, okay, witchcraft is the way forward for me. It's giving me understanding and a way way into this and a way to deal with it.
1: Okay. Well, one of my... The first memories I have of a spooky experience as a child is waking up in my bedroom, rolling over in bed and facing against the wall, facing my toy chest that was against the opposite wall. And um, I saw this puppet dancing or running across the toy chest back and forth, back and forth. And um, it was a Lady Elaine doll for Mr. Rogers. I don't know if you know who Lady Elaine was for Mister Rogers. She was like the witch doll, and she was actually mm-hmm. the nicest person.
0: <laughs> still, all of those Mister Rogers dolls were pretty creepy. So yeah, okay.
1: They were all very creepy, but I, I still loved that show. And and I was that age. I was I think I was like six or seven, maybe even no. I was actually five. It was before my uh my father and mother got divorced. So. Anyway, I see Lady Elaine running across my toy chest, looking like she's having a grand time. It was the exact doll. And um, I told this story to people and they're like, oh, well, you were dreaming. And I'm like, no, I. there was my room there. There was the doll. I mean, nothing was weird or spooky or different about it, except for this doll was right in my toy chest. And I had some puppets, but I never had that puppets. And so... I did what any kid would do. I screamed for my mom, the top of my lungs. And after what felt like forever, like it was probably only two minutes or something, but I was just yelling, mom, you know, it was very frightening. My dad comes uh, running into the bedroom and he's like, what's going on? And as soon as he opened the door, he turned on the light, the doll ran behind the door. the, the toy chest was right by the door. And I was like, there was a toy dancing on the toy chest, and I don't know how or why. And, and he was like, All right, well, um, you're you're sure this happened. He was like, Yes, yes, it was crazy. And uh and we look for the doll, you know, behind the door, and there's no doll. There's no t- there's no puppet. We open the toy chest, there's no puppet. We look behind the toy chest, there is no puppet. So this puppet has just disappeared from sight and like i said i know it wasn't a dream because it was all fluid it didn't there was no um breaking continuity there was no like waking up like you know changing positions in bed or whatever um this doll just kind of appeared and was basically I think that was like my initiation in a way into witchcraft. This witch doll was like having a great time, like telling me like, I'm here, you're seeing me. Spooky stuff is going to happen. I hope you're ready for it. You're not going to be able to explain some other stuff and that's okay.
0: And and so just to clarify, you had other Mr. Rogers dolls, but did you actually own this one?
1: I didn't have any Mr. Rogers dolls. Oh, okay. Kermit the frog and a Mickey mouse. And I think that was it.
0: Okay. So this was a, this was an outsider (laughs) that was there. And so when you had this experience, the only thing that I could possibly think is that um, you also were having a bit of sleep paralysis in that situation. And that um, and, don't get me wrong, when I say sleep paralysis, I fully think that a lot of what people see during sleep paralysis is spirits and, and things that they're actually experiencing. But do you feel like when you were seeing the doll move, could you move?
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I you could. Sleep. Yeah, and I've had sleep paralysis before where I couldn't move and couldn't scream but I was screaming, bloody murder. I was screaming my head off, but, you know, I think that, you know, that's, I'm willing to entertain the fact that it could be some kind of sleep paralysis or some kind of like waking, um, I don't know, vision in a way. It's just, it seemed so seamless to me at the time that, uh, I don't know. It's, it's very, very weird. (laughs)
0: Oh, for sure. And I mean, look, even with hypnagogia and and trance and being in a sleep paralysis state, that doesn't mean that the things you're seeing aren't real. It just means that you're in an altered state and you might be seeing reality in a different way, right? I mean, it sounds like you were screaming your head off and being heard by your family while you're seeing this thing jump back and forth for a sustained amount of time. That- is odd. That doesn't feel like a typical sleep paralysis instant because usually you can't scream your lungs off and you're not having that vivid uh, experience during. Wow wow
1: yeah and I remember being exasperated too like why isn't she here like why (laughs) like I never screamed as a child really I never like woke up and had that kind of experience I'm like you know this is the time you know pay attention (laughs) like mom come on (laughs) I didn't say come on but you know that was the vibe I remember feeling uh when that puppet continued to just go back and forth yeah it was really weird
0: and i always like to get into the minutiae here uh just because it gives people a feeling of like what it actually was like to be in that situation did have like how was it moving was it moving like someone was carrying it and moving it smoothly from one side to the other was it actually walking was it uh did it feel like it was kind of like a marionette on strings like what was the movement like
1: it was very much like a puppet like with the bobbing hands but you know, of course, there was no hands there. There was the toy chest that it was like kind of bobbing across. Um, yeah.
0: <laughs> wow. Wow. Oh, uh, that, that's, that's one for the books. That, that's awesome. Wow. Fantastic. Uh, and so I have in my notes here from our pre-interview that uh, there are a lot of moments where it felt like the spirits were just messing with you. I'm, I'm imagining this was one of those moments, right? Uh, were there others?
1: Um, yeah, so, um, I feel like I've had good experiences with the spirits and bad ones as well. Um, uh, some of them, I would say I probably had more good experiences, um, with them, but, um, I think that the spirits made themselves known, um, you know, if, if I were to say something and something would, it would happen soon after that, um, one time, um, this guy was like, oh, I'm in basketball. I was in high school. And he was like, will you break this guy's legs because he's my rival in basketball? And I was like, ha, 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 sure. And the guy broke his leg the next day. And it was very, um, I I learned the I I was like distraught. I went to the guy and I was like, what did we do? And he was like, we didn't do anything. He broke his own leg. And I was like, but we... Allowed that access to happen, so I think what they were showing me sometimes is, um, you know, not to necessarily be afraid, but to be intentional about what I say, and so I've it really helped me steer toward the the ethical sides of uh, intentions uh, and uh, morality. So but, um, I didn't want anything bad to happen to other people. But I think a lot of what I experienced as a child came about like dreams that would come true for some reason. Um, And uh, just um, also, um, I had a very disturbing out-of-body experience when I was about 10 or 11 or so. uh, And that really gave me a wake-up call that, you know, this is... This is a really uh, real other world. And so I can tell that story if you'd like.
0: Absolutely, yes. Um,
1: so I was, uh, I was in junior high, I think I was in seventh grade. <clears throat> and um, I remember I just couldn't sleep one night and I'd been tossing and turning and I just laid down and was like, okay, this is it. And like, I'm gonna go to sleep. And I laid my head on the pillow and just like kind of did some breathing. And um, I just felt this like slippy, slippery motion. Like I was like, Oh, I'm going to sleep now. Good. And I had this thought that I was going to look at my alarm clock and see what time it was. So I could brag to my friends and say, I was up until two thirty or 3 AM or whatever time it was. <clears throat> and I opened my eyes to just peek, you know, at what time it was. And in the place where my alarm clock would have been, um, there was something blurry right in front of my face, and it took me about three seconds to to fully adjust my eyes, my eyes to focus on what was right in front of me, and that was the handle of my dresser drawer, which is actually across the room, all the way across the room. It was right in front of my eyeball, <laughs> and um, it was clear as day. You know, the the whole outlines of it, the the, you know. And so, of course, I was startled and I froze up. Um, I realized what was happening, that I wasn't in my body. <clears throat> and the only thing that I could think of was that aliens got me or something. And um, I tried to scream for my mother <laughs> or anybody who would hear me. And I couldn't scream at all. Like my voice was stuck in my throat. The, the loudest sound that I could make was, was coming out as like the tiniest croak. I couldn't move at all either. I was frozen, stuck in place. And it was super scary for a while. Um, and so I had to, I, I realized like, I'm not going to get anywhere just by freaking out. And so I was you know, internally crying and it felt like this was happening for probably 40 minutes, which is a long time. <laughs> and it was very scary. And so once I just kind of like gave into it, I realized I could move my little toe a little bit and then I could move my foot and then I could move my muscles, you know, in my legs. And, and as soon as I could, I got up out of my bed and I ran upstairs to tell my mother what happened, woke her up, you know, and, um, and, I said, I was like, I don't know what happened. Maybe it was aliens. It was just, I was out out of my body and I could see like the corners of the room, everything. She was like in sharp focus at the time and it was really creepy. And um, she actually told me that she had a similar experience when she was pregnant with me, um, visiting in-laws in a different state where she just woke up one morning on the ceiling and she like jumped back into her body because she was so afraid she was dead and she was she wasn't going to be able to give birth i think she was like probably like eight and a half months pregnant at that time too (laughs) so it was it was a very scary thing for her to experience that but she knew about that kind of stuff um and it was shortly after that that uh we were going to this like energy-based church you know this church that was um they taught about the principles of energy you know like half the people were reiki practitioners the other half were like massage therapists and (laughs) they knew all about this kind of stuff so it was a new age church called unity and um it was it was very um uh very wonderful very i had a good grounding experience it didn't like tell me how i could deal with a lot of the other strange things that were happening, the magical things, like they believe in the power of thought, the power of um, the spoken word and things like that. So in a way it was kind of like witchcraft, you know, it has the same roots as witchcraft, the spiritualism movements. Um, so it was it was a great foundation to help me get to a place where I became more confident working with my energy other people's energies, the energies of the other world the spirits and deities that are out there that I was experiencing as well. Um, I would say like, they don't really teach about that, but I kind of just felt like I had a community where at least people felt energy and they didn't deny that kind of stuff in the religion.
0: Right. Exactly. At least that there's acceptance that, Oh, okay. This thing actually goes on. And so it didn't just stop with that out of body experience, right? You actually had later ones.
1: Yeah. um, So the next one I had was when I was in my early twenties and um, I was between two big college trips. It was like a co-op and a study abroad. And so um, I was sleeping on a futon somewhere unfamiliar. And I just dropped my mother off at like summer school where she was teaching and um, came back, try to go to sleep again. And I felt that familiar slip again like I was slipping and I was like oh no I might be I might have a sleep paralysis out of body experience again but when I opened my eyes I was actually in the presence of this um giant crystalline outlined spirit in like a human form like there was no facial features but um this um this giant human like crystalline uh figure made of just like light energy white energy. I don't know. It was it's really interesting. Um it was like uh he was like sitting on the futon and cradling my spirit in a way. And I remember like I was spinning around and people talk about like how you can get the spins when you're in the astral realm. I didn't understand at the time. Um I didn't know how to write, uh, uh like make myself stay upright either. But um we had this telecommunication for a few minutes, um, where he told me what his name was and that he's my spirit guide. And, um, it was really amazing. And I had the same clarity I had with the other out-of-body experience. Like the whole room was like in focus. I could see, I could see things like, I don't know if this is just me, but I have this proprioception in the astral realm about the world and architecture, I guess. I don't know. It's really weird, but, um, Anyway, yeah, uh, that was really amazing too. And after, you know, our conversation, he just kind of like put me back down into my body and I woke up and, uh, and, and you know, I think I bring up the proprioception, the awareness of the room and the spatial uh, distances between things, because I don't have that in dreams. In dreams, it's more like everything's fluid. I don't know where things are. There's no depth perception, you know? Um, things are just kind of like three-dimensional but also just kind of like spongy and squishy <laughs> whereas in the astral realm, it seems like things are still there. there there's still some solidity to them and firmness it's not like things are different in any way um, but whereas in dreams like my bedroom could have been you know if I dream about my bedroom it could have been like my dorm room or like some weird boat that i'm staying on that's my bedroom you know it makes sense but um yeah location uh shows up a lot in uh, my astral projections to help me know that it's real
0: well that's one fantastic way to meet your guides i love that that you know just a spontaneous astral projection and it sounds like you were in the same room that you fell asleep in right yeah wow Wow. It's curious, right? Because your, your mother had her OBE in someone else's house. You had this one in a house that you're in, in somewhere where you're just temporarily staying as well. Do you think that has anything to do with increasing the likelihood of an OBE?
1: Yeah. Well, I think that there's a bit of liminality, uh, you know, between being between one state or one emotion or one place or, um, one life experience and another, and um, I think that you know liminality has some aspects. and of course, you know, I think it's about Hecate, the the great goddess of witchcraft and liminality, and how really the way that she shows up a lot of times is that, you know, you can go anywhere with this where you want to go. you know, this is a very in between the space kind of energy. and so. You know, you really really do have to put your intention out there and to make it known like, okay, this is what I want to do. This is where I want to go. Curiously, I think that right now is a really powerful time for manifestations and putting intentions out there. A lot of the things I've put out there have just like come back so quickly. And um, I think that, you know, a lot of us who are more spiritually minded, who are seeing this kind of stuff. Uh, have to be careful right now for whatever reason maybe it's because we're between these eclipses you know we just had that Pisces full moon but um, it's a really powerful time right now for that kind of stuff too
0: absolutely you got to be careful what you say what you think throughout life because we are constantly manifesting but yeah it, it has felt like the last little bit has been incredibly powerful times that's for sure I know in my life there's a lot of a lot of long-term projects that are finally coming to culmination where it's like, okay, this is the manifesting time. It feels great.
1: Yeah, that's wonderful. And I think, you know, just keep it up too.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. It's something to keep up throughout life, right? Not just during a window period.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the window periods um, can be like um, platforms or like trampolines where we can really gain some heights during this time. Um, but yeah, like you said, being intentional about things and uh, really um, not just saying like, okay, I want this, but like having some um, ability to craft a really special statement about what it is you do want and how you would like it to happen, not being too specific necessarily, but also, you know, not uh, opening a window for some kind of chaos to come in and cause it that way. I think that's really important.
0: Yeah, I mean, the classic example of how not to manifest is, universe, bring me money. Because then you're going to find out that, yeah, you're getting money and it's an estate from somebody who passed away, right?
1: Yeah, that's always a fear. Yeah.
0: So a little bit of specificity is good, that's for sure. Uh, so in your life, you've also had a number of ghost experiences, um, and not just a, a doll dancing on your, on, your, uh, on your toy chest, but rather other things as well. And uh, so why these happen in a cemetery? Uh, can you tell us about that experience?
1: Yeah. Um, so I was at Woodland Cemetery. It's one of the oldest, well, it is the oldest cemetery in the town where I live in Dayton, Ohio. And um, I was hanging out there. With my friends, and somehow we got separated. <clears throat> I was going on my own little walk around, and it's it's beautiful. There are old trees there, there's cultures there are there are old white, washed out limestone um, tombstones, and there are statues. It's amazingly beautiful, and so I was, you know, really just getting inspired by it all, and knowing that I had this connection with spirits, and saying like, okay, what's going to happen, you know is anything going to happen? Like, I am open to it happening. Uh, And so I was coming up a little hill and I saw these two spirits running around a tree. They were very short. They're very, they looked like, um, they weren't fully formed like humans. They just looked like little blobs of translucent lights, just like running around this big uh, tree trunk. And, And I was like, oh, that is weird. That is okay, what's happening there? And I was like, okay, who's there? Ha, ha, ha. And I heard um, the name Johnny in my head. And I was like, Johnny, okay. And then I said to myself, wouldn't it be weird if I looked at the tombstone that was right, then walking toward the tree, you know? I looked at the tombstone and that tombstone said John something or other. And I looked, And it was not John, it was something else. It was like Claudia or whatever. And I was like, ha, 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 ha. That's so funny, that's so me, okay, whatever. Maybe this is all in my head. And I took one more step and the tombstone right there said, John, blah, 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 You know, whatever his name was. And I was like, oh, 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 okay, okay. Um, Well, that's weird. And uh, then I said, Okay, I need some more verification here. I'm like, okay, so what is the other spirit saying? What's your name? And he was like, Bobby in my head. I heard it in my head. And um, and it's not like a it's not like I heard it like somebody was speaking, like we're speaking right now. It's more like a like a whisper almost. Um it, it wasn't loud, but it it wasn't like audible, but it was, you know, a thought that was Bobby. And so I looked down at the next tombstone, and it was not Bobby, but same thing. I took one more step, and there was Robert, whatever his last name, lying right there. And I said, okay, okay, I just, what are the chances of this? And this is an intense and amazing, and my friends were still nowhere to be seen. And so... I sit by the tree and I'm like, what am I supposed to do here? Am I supposed to like help them? Um, otherwise, why do I know their names? And, and I started saying like, Hey, there, um, um, I don't know if you know this, but you're dead. (laughs) I don't, I don't know what to do with this, but like, do you want to like go away from here? Do you want to go toward the lights? Do you want to look for the lights? You can see the light. You see any of your ancestors, you see any of your, uh, Family who wants to take you with them. And the spirits kind of like had this buoyant, giggly energy and they just kept running around that tree. They did not have any interest in leaving this mortal plane. They were just having the best time uh, just running around that tree. So um, having that experience is really weird. And I really like the, the fact that I saw the, the names on the tombstone showing up uh, it really helped me verify that, yeah, there are spirits there. Yes, that's what you saw. And, um, but no, it's not necessarily important to help them move on. I think the reason why I heard their names is because I asked. <laughs> I didn't ask them what they wanted. I probably should have. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that was a really interesting story, um, experience to have.
0: It brings up a, a useful lesson that bears repeating, which is that you can't force a spirit to cross over to the other side. You can, you can remind them that they're dead. You can show them the way, but it's like bringing a horse to water, right? You cannot make a drink. So that is an incredible experience. And when you were seeing the spirits running around the tree, do you feel like you were seeing it kind of in your third eye, or were you seeing it as kind of an overlay on your physical vision, or did it feel like your physical vision? Uh, like
1: it was in my physical vision, yeah, but it was very faint too. And mm. if it was daytime, I probably would not have seen it. So it was night, and I think that's why I saw this energy. You know, it was showing itself uh, in this form of this translucent white blobs. You know, <laughs> yeah, it was. It was
0: spooky. You were obviously getting used to the idea of spirits by this time in your life, considering that you didn't run away from the situation. <laughs> in fact, you're seeing spirits run around a tree and you uh, you decide to walk up and see what might be on the tombstones.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was definitely um, interested in engaging with them and I, I, a lot of my friends have said like, I would have run the other way. And I was like, I walked toward them. I, I want to know more about this. And I feel like I do have a gift in some ways, not as much as other people, perhaps, you know, but um, the things that I've seen have led me to believe like, yeah, spirit communication is something you're going to be doing throughout your life. <laughs>
0: Wow. That is an incredible experience. And of course, John and and Bobby, it reminds me of uh, JFK and RFK, right? The Kennedy brothers. So I, I don't know. don't know if that's a synchronicity, but uh, it'll definitely help remember that. It, it will help you remember that story. That's for sure. Um, that's fantastic. And now you also had another experience where you saw a nearly full body apparition in your kitchen. How did that go?
1: Oh my gosh, that was um, that was the clearest I've ever seen a spirit. The clearest. Um, I was getting ready for a party. <laughs> I was having like a Christmas-esque party where my friends were gonna come over, we're gonna watch movies, have some drinks, Christmas movies, you know. And um, I'm cleaning the house. I'm like running back and forth through the rooms, straightening things up. And as I'm walking, like striding very quickly through the kitchen, Um, I see this, um, woman who's all dressed in white. She has, looks like a nightgown on or something like that, but I can't see her feet. So I say it's a nearly full body apparition, but I could see her face. I could see her hair. And she was looking around my house, like appraisingly and, you know, with satisfaction. She was nodding. Like she was really happy to see everything there. She was just like, um... I don't know how to explain it. She was uh, just benevolent looking too, like, uh, like a grandma and very sweet natured face, very like happy to be there. Very like appraising of everything that she saw in my kitchen, I guess. And I stopped dead in my tracks and I locked eyes with her. She like went from looking around my kitchen and she looked straight at me. And then her eyes went big, like, didn't realize I would be able to see her I guess and she just disappeared it was like poof you know Uh, but before that she just looked like this pillar almost like this translucent marble statue I would say um and yeah the the um the gown that flowed almost all the way to the to the um to the ground was just standing there uh so close to me like I would say she was probably two and a half feet away from me when I, when she disappeared and I saw her walking up to her to the point where I stopped and like the fact that she moved and then just we made the eye contact and she disappeared it was so frightening scary but also like I said okay okay well you're a spirit and you're in my house and I don't know how you got through my protective words first of all <laughs> but um I don't know who you are, but um, I, uh, my name's Astrea. I live here now. And, you know, this is my home that I share with my husband and we, um, you know, I I don't know if you're a good spirit or a bad spirit necessarily. This is, you know, kind of confusing, but um, if you can, you know, if you're a good spirit, you can stay here, but I have no problem banishing you. If you try anything bad whatsoever And I was like, I, I'm going to have to keep getting ready, but we're going to come back to this. And so I kept getting ready with that party. I didn't see her again, but, um, my husband came home after the party was over and and I told him what happened. And, um, and he was like, oh, huh, that's weird. But then I went back to the place where I saw her, where I was showing him and, um, there was this little figurine, this new figurine on my home altar for protection for the home spirits, you know, that I hadn't seen before. It was a little sheep figurine, a little prancing, dancing sheep figurine. And I was like, what is this and where did it come from? And he was like, oh, um, that's something I got from my funeral from my grandma, my grandma's sister passed away. And I, in my head, I was like, what is her name? And I, had, I heard Ella, Ella, Ella. And I was like, was her name Ella? And uh, he was like, that's close. It's Edda. It was Grandma Edda standing right in front of us. I verified it with pictures, looking at pictures later. And it was striking. I mean, her funeral was just like two days before that. And she was visiting the house, checking up on my husband, her grandnephew, <laughs> to make sure that he was living in a good, safe place. And apparently she liked what she saw. So we had subsequent conversations after that. I was like, okay, Grandma Etta, you're fine here. Um, sorry if I came off very strong the first time. I was just surprised, you know? And so when we do our Salin offerings, she, we include her, you know, Grandma Etta, you know, you're one of our revered ancestors, so you're welcome here. And here's some offerings for you. And thank you for your presence. Thank you for helping protect us. Thank you for like, giving us insights and helpful tips along the way. Um, so that's how I met Grandma Etta. <laughs> Never met her before.
0: Fantastic! And you figure that the way she got through your firewall was that figurine, right? Yeah. Getting on that altar, especially, I imagine it got a lot of energy and uh, into it from that altar.
1: Yeah, yeah. And you know, there are a lot of spirits who hitchhike on items that are brought into a house, and so I'm always really careful about what I bring into a house. I actually have a. a place in my house where things cool off, even books that I order online from all all the other authors or publishers or whatever, if it feels a little bit like me, you know, like I just put it in the waiting room area where it just kind of like chills out decompresses some of the energy kind of dissipates but it's funny not every item is like that (laughs) not everything that i get shipped to my house not everything that people bring and gift to me is like that it's just certain things so it's good for me to be aware of that because um there have been other hitchhikers who've come into my house spirits there's one point where i was doing my ancestry research and there was a a woman in my ancestry we didn't know anything about we couldn't find anything about her just know her first name was Lucy. And I was like, okay, it looks like Lucy just gave birth and left, I guess. I don't really know what happened to Lucy. So I was like trying to figure out like spirits and the spirit came to me and was like, hey, I'm Lucy, I'm your ancestor. And you know what? You are descended from this and this and this. And I was like, huh, that sounds kind of too good to be true. I was like, okay, thanks. I'm going to um, ask you to leave. I'm going to verify it other ways. And um, I'll, I'll invite you back in if if I think you're my ancestor. And it turns out we had information come in after that that was actually the opposite of what that spirit had said to me. Um, but yeah, experiences like that are just really interesting, you know, because you never know what you're going to get.
0: Yeah, well, talking... Actual practices there. I mean, absolutely. You definitely always want to verify the identity of spirits. Never just take that at face value. <laughs> especially, I mean, especially this is what gets people when they, you know, start playing with Ouija or something, when they have put up absolutely no protections and they're just preteens hanging out in the basement. It's like, okay, no, 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 no. Put up protections, put up words, all that. And then absolutely, if you have a spirit coming through talking to you, you, you make it verify <laughs> who it is. Um, so it's, it brings up an interesting point there. How do you, you know, when you say that you're talking with spirits, how does that come through for you? Like, is it uh, also kind of an intuitive process? Are you hearing it? How do you get into that state?
1: Um, really, I think that for me, I just put my intentions out there that I want to talk to a spirit or I want to receive information or have communication or back and forth or whatever. And it just kind of comes through. Um, and as I mentioned, like my home is very protected. So whenever I do that in my home, there's the intention that, you know, it's going to be a spirit that's not a trickster. It's not out to get me or cause chaos or harm or whatever, um, and so I do it a lot in my house that way. Um, and the way that I receive the messages are mostly just through this inner uh, voice, this inner knowing, kind of like the way that I describe it best is like when you talk to your cat or your dog or your pet and you ask them a question and you can kind of like, they, they do some kind of movement and you can kind of hear in your head, like they're like, <sighs> That's what you think. Or, you know, <laughs> this one my cat would say, or the dog would be like, "I want to massage." You know, like you can just see that in their eyes. You can kind of hear what they're saying in your head. <clears throat> That's why a lot of people have conversations with their pets, is because they're actually communicating with that spirit. And so we speak this language that transcends, you know, uh, English or whatever other languages there are. But we can communicate with the spirits that way, telepathically. And receive answers. So it's kind of like hearing it, but it's also not like it's a loud thing. It's 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 a voice in the head that's not your own voice, if that makes sense.
0: Absolutely. And this is very inside baseball here, but at the same time, I've got to ask since I have you here, do you find that when you have all your wards up and your protective spells and even things like sealing, I don't know if you do that, but like sealing the body and and, and other types of uh, protective magic and practices, do you ever find that that lessens the, uh, the degree that a message, the intensity of a message, and that sometimes you have to take off some of those things, even to talk to something that's positive? Do you ever find that?
1: Um, I don't find that to be the case for me. But um, I, I call upon pretty much the same spirits and or deities in my practices. So I think that it facilitates it, if, if nothing else. It's kind of like a club where it's like a VIP members only area. And, you know, you don't hear the riffraff that's outside. (laughs) Not that I've been to a lot of VIP club areas, but I think we all get the metaphor. Um, You know, these people or these spirits are invited. And so you can have a more intimate conversation without interference from the other people or spirits.
0: Right. It seems to me like the pathway is already set. In other words, these... Beings, these spirits, these entities, they are represented already probably on, say, that altar. And so when you go and talk to them, it's like, okay, their pathway in is already set. They're, they're very much uh, uh, energized and ready to go and talk, right? So, yeah, that's, we find similar things as well. So, okay. interesting. And, and so uh, you then had a experience with the goddess Hell. Um, How did that go? It was really um,
1: unexpected and weird. I think a lot of experiences are just unexpected, and you just have to be aware and be ready in a certain way for anything to happen. You know, I think a lot of people are just in denial about what happens, they're like, nope, or they just want to get out of there. But if you actually feel safe and, uh, you know, it's not something that's terrifying, then, you know, the, you have the opportunity to explore a little bit and, like, okay, what's what am I supposed to learn here. What's my role? Um, when I uh, saw hell for the first time, I had just stepped out of a busy party and there was a little circle of pine trees by my friend's house and I just wanted to get some air basically, <clears throat> some space. I was feeling like a little bit socially awkward, I guess, at that time. And I just sat down to meditate in the circle of pine trees. And it was a really peaceful place. You know, We'd done a lot of magical practices there. And um, it was, it's beautiful, uh, even though it was kind of a small area. But if you've ever been inside of a, a tight circle of pine trees, like the, in, the inner pines are, the branches are dead. You know, they're, they may have some like uh, little pine needles on them, but there's a lot of branches there but you're, you're surrounded by the green anyway, all times of the year. And it really is like a place between the world. So I just sat down to meditate for a moment and just like kind of connect to myself, ground in my body. And I was feeling really good about like my, I don't know, five or 10 minute meditation or whatever. And I remember getting up and I felt this weird magnetic pull in the air, this drain, this almost like I was drawing me toward it there was this intense energy and I never felt anything like that. Um, The way that I would describe it is kind of like being in the presence of um, like a tiger or a lion or some kind of predator who's, you know, could eat you very easily, who has a lot of power. And I feel like those animals have a lot of magnetism as well in their energy. Um, So I, was like, I stopped in my tracks and was like looking around the pine circle, trying to figure out where it was coming from when I saw those inner branches moving. Uh, I don't even think it was windy. They were just moving. And uh, it was really weird because in the dim light of that pine circle in the night, I could make out um, connections between the branches. And it looked like this... um, woman's this beautiful woman's face and she was wearing this gray shawl or kind of like a hooded cloak or something like that and her when the pine needles would move half of her face would um, turn into like a skeletal um looking uh, face it was like it was half rotted out her eyeball was like yanked out of her uh, eye socket um there was like sinews and bones sticking out of her face and she wasn't looking at me. I think that would have been more intense if she was looking at me. She was looking kind of like to the exit. Um, uh, and it kind of just, she form, reformed into like a whole uh, looking face and then like into the half rotted face again and again and again. And I did not know what I was looking at. I was just awestruck. And, you know, being even closer to it, I felt this intensity coming off of her. And I didn't know who she was. I just called her Lady Depp in my mind. I hadn't even studied the Norse pantheon at a time, even though I'm part Norse. I think it just wasn't as popular in the 90s, perhaps, late 90s when I had this experience. And so, yeah, I just, um, I remember like falling to my knees, like feeling like I'm the, pre- I'm the prey. She is the predator in this weird situation, this weird energy dynamic, at, at least, you know, and... I didn't know what was going on, but I knew that we were connected somehow, that I loved her for some reason. She was, you know, she had my adoration and I just kind of like stayed with this energy with her. And we just had this back and forth. And then, you know, her presence just kind of like evaporated and left. And it was a very spooky experience. and I wasn't on any drugs or anything. I think I had been drinking just a little bit, but I think that, you know, I was mostly sober at the time. The meditation really helped sober me up too. But I think that was just at the right time in my life to meet hell, it, it turned out to be hell. I didn't know it for years. Uh, uh, so finding out, having some confirmation of like, you know, the half rotted out part of her face, uh, it was a revelation. And from what I've read, it's like the same half that's, that other people see uh, when it's rotted out. And um, yeah, so uh, I mean, there's this good book about it, um, hell and some personal experiences people had. Someone describes like an astral projection journey where they see her and um, she has the same you know, look of, about her. Um, there are instances online where people say that she has this gray shroud that she wears too. So it's super super interesting, super creepy, super um awkward, but um, I also loved it at the same time, in that kind of reminds me of the the Greek gods thought like the gods were or the Greeks thought the gods were like terrible and awesome and fearsome and inspiring and like terrifying in a way, but also just lovely and uh worthy of adoration. It's the same kind of experience
0: yeah, well, when you're I've I've worked with Hell or Hella a lot in my own personal practice, and it's funny what you're saying there regarding the the kind of the energy that you felt even before you saw the face, right? With that, that kind of maybe predatory, but maybe like in, in my inter- interaction, I'd say it's almost like this energy of this being is bigger than you and you're very small and you're not in control here, right? You're not the one who's in control.
1: There was also benevolence and like a maternalness to it as well. I should have said, I don't know if you've experienced that.
0: Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of the, that's the interesting thing is that, um, I mean, obviously in the, in the mythology, she's this maiden, right? She's the daughter of Loki and she is the the goddess of hell and you know she's this maiden with with half half dead, half dead flesh and half living. And yeah, I mean you get that kind of loving slash maiden happy about life in some ways, but then also this this terrible power, right? I mean, she's the goddess of death, right? I mean, that is an incredibly powerful energy. I mean, if we want to even dive a little further into Norse mythology, which we won't go that far, but uh, I mean, hell is the one who, when the god Baldur dies by some match machinations by Loki, hell is the one who says, No, I'm not gonna let you, you know, resurrect him back to life. He's dead, he's mine. <laughs> right. So then even the gods Odin and everyone else don't have control over what hell does, right? So very a lot of power there, <laughs> right? So it would make sense that you felt something very uncanny in that situation
1: yeah and there are a lot of pines in um the northern hemispheres too so that the fact that there was that correspondence between where she showed up for me is it was really interesting too yeah
0: how long did this experience last when you were seeing these pine needles shape and reshape into this face
1: I would say uh, probably a total of like 15 minutes.
0: Oh. Wow. So that's not just like a one off like oh I kind of you know because everyone wants to especially the uh your materialist dogmatic scientists right they always want to write this off as uh, as just the ability for humans to see a face in everything <laughs> right mm-hmm. but I mean, if you're seeing this thing reshape and become a different face and all this for 15 minutes, that's, that's quite something.
1: Yeah, it was heavy.
0: <laughs> and then when it was gone, like it, even if you were squinting, do you think you could have seen a face in those trees? Or it was just like, okay, that whatever was happening is not there anymore.
1: Yeah, the presence was gone, and then it was clearly just pine needles at that or pine branches and stuff at that time. Wow, like it was kind of gone like a whisper on the wind, you know. Um, and it just I I didn't see how I ever would have been able to see that in that uh form. Uh, the winds died down as well, there was not that otherworldly wind blowing (laughs) so. makes me uh, wonder about the associations of that
0: too. And so at this time, you'd never really worked with Hela before.
1: Right? I'd never heard of her.
0: But you were, you were pagan at this time. You're uh, oh, yeah. pagan. Okay. And, and were you, I'm always curious how this plays out. Were, at any point, have you kind of dedicated yourself to the Greek gods?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, and,
0: but this would have been before that, right?
1: Um. No, actually the Greek gods, came for me when i was a child and i i was in love with them i was so in love with them um yeah so first the greeks and then um i would say uh the celts mm. i was i was mostly hanging out with them around this time um yeah i hadn't really i didn't know much about the norse gods at the time and right it's, it's weird i've had interactions since that time with some of them and it's it's really wonderful. Um, it's a great pantheon to learn from too.
0: Yeah. It's, I guess my question there is getting at something that I've seen in in some practitioners where, you know, you start out on this path, especially if you say start working with spirits like shamanically, right. But also in, in other forms of pagan. And it seems to me that sometimes what happens is Especially when someone starts shamanically journeying, and they're open to all these kind of older pantheons, th- those pantheons come through, and it's almost like it's almost like a job fair, or, or they're showing up and they're like, "Hey, so I'm Hella, and this is my kind of energy, and see if that resonates with you." And then, you know, then you have Hermes from the Greek pantheon come over. It's like, okay, so this is what the Greek, and you know, it it, it can be very mixed in that way. Until someone actually like devotes themselves to a particular pantheon, although that never even has to happen, right? I mean, a lot of people do mixed pantheons or they are very fluid in that. but yeah, I've always just kind of noticed that there's this this kind of interview period where they kind of show themselves and it's like, okay, you know, here's what I have to offer, here's my energy, but yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. And I think it can go both ways too. Like they can kind of be like, I'm interviewing you and you can be like, well, I'm interviewing you, you know, like, uh, you know, sometimes it's, we are like, I think Aphrodite would be great for me. And, you know, um, she's generally very accepting of everyone who wants to work with her, but other deities like Kate, I had this experience where it wasn't so easy. (laughs) Um, I was like, Oh, you know, learning about her, the goddess of magic and witchcraft from, uh, ancient Greece and before, um, you know, she, she was fascinating and, um, her energy is like very, um, possibilities are endless, you know, and you know, you, there's this acceptance. There's also a little bit of like, benevolent maternalness as well. Um, so I was like, all right, I I'd really like to work with her. Like a lot of my friends love her. And like, I read some books about her. I think it's great. And, um, and I was like calling upon her in ritual like trying to get to know her before I was asking her for anything, of course, that's what I recommend. Um, But um, it was like a gate. (laughs) She had that. And she was like, "Um, I want you to find me an acorn before you can work with me. And I was like, "Um, all right, I will do that for you. Sure. Yeah, I would be honored to find an acorn. So, you know, between that moon cycle and the next one it was when I was doing like moon cycle stuff. Found an acorn, and I was like, so proud to give it to her. And like, here's the acorn you asked for, Kate. And, and she was like, painted black, now painted black. And I was like, um, okay, I, I, I will do that. Uh, I didn't have any black paint. So I had to like, you know, end the ritual and, uh, you know, go buy some black paint. And, you know, two weeks later, the next moon cycle, I'm like, here's the black acorn. And she's like, now find me a key. I'm like, okay, I'm doing chores. (laughs) That's what this is. It's very like Baba Yaga kind of like testing initiation kind of thing. I found a key. And of course she wanted that to be painted black too. She hadn't told me that until the next time. Um, But I think that, uh, you know, I presented her with the black key and then there were no more gates. There was no more testing. Um, there was just the access. And I feel like I had earned her, um, the ability to work with her in that way because I'd proven, my, proven myself to to be someone who was uh, resourceful, who has a desire, who will keep showing up, who will keep asking, who is a uh, reverent as well. And not like, oh, here's your, egg. like, what do you mean hit it black? You know, <laughs> I would never, <laughs> never do anything like that with a deity, um, but yeah. So I, I feel like the interview process goes both ways.
0: Yeah, don't talk back to deities, people. That's a bad idea. Uh, yeah, I I feel like two things are going on there when we talk about this kind of two-way interview process, right? Is that, first off, they we as humans, we are kind of hot commodities, right? Especially nowadays, right? If you are someone who's willing to work in some pagan or witchcraft manner or shamanic manner, manner with... These old gods, these old entities, old deities—you are a hot commodity because there's actually, you know, it's 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 a, a relatively not the biggest demographic. At the same time, they especially deities like Hikate. I was laughing my, I was laughing my head off when you were talking about that because yeah, I'd, I've seen that before as well. Uh, beings like Hikate or hella as well i gotta say they will test you in that way because they don't want you working with them if you're not dedicated right so that i love that yeah it's it's quite a process isn't it
1: yeah yeah and um so i have a special altar for hell hella um now um in in my home and it's just for her she's very selfish too like the deities have like these opinions <laughs> and beliefs I'm like oh well clearly you know you should do this for me uh and i do my best to respect that um what's interesting is that her altar i will sense her energy at my altar when someone close to me is going to pass away so there is some of that communication happening there as well um uh, you know and a lot of people ask like oh what's the point of like working with a deity you can do magic with them. They can support you. They can empower you. They can also, like, we you have to look at like what their powers are, and do you really want that kind of access to that kind of energy and to know that kind of stuff? So, it's you know, it's complicated, but I think it's really worth it when we do uh, work with them in that way and hold space for them, and they come through and you know help us with life
0: absolutely absolutely you know we only have another 10 minutes or so but i'm wondering do you have any deity stories that just are you know just from your practice that kind of show what working with one of these ancient deities can bring into your life
1: um well you know what's funny I, i'll tell a story about thor <clears throat> excuse me Um, The Thor movie just came out and, you know, the, the, the comics, the movies aren't really uh, the same myths not the same beings, not the same stories.
0: AKA Loki and Thor being brothers (laughs) in the Marvel (laughs) movies, right. As opposed to actually Odin and Loki being blood brothers. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, you know, take those movies and that mythology with a grain of salt or a whole shaker. Um, But what's interesting is I've, I once called upon Thor kind of half jokingly. Um, I wrote this article for Pathos Pagan called working out with the deities or working out with the gods or something, because one time I was running and I really felt Artemis beside me. Like, like we were like running over the mountains, like with the deer and it was really empowering. And I was like, Oh, well, can I do some of this with some other deities? And I was like lifting weights and Thor and, uh, I called upon him when I was lifting weights, and we had no relationship before that. I probably, I don't know. It was kind of like a rough introduction, but I felt this the presence of like a big burly dude appear. Notably, he has some body odor too. If you have any kind of psychosensitivity, sensitivity, like he smells. No offense. Uh, anyway. <laughs> so he showed up saw what I was doing and was like nope and like, got out of there and um, <clears throat> it wasn't for a while like we just had this like weird estranged personality I was like he doesn't like me I don't really like him it's fine we understand each other you know we're separate you know I that's fine we don't, we don't have to understand each other um, and then I felt like one time he came to me when I was um, going to write an article about I was I was a little bit mad when the, um, the movies were portraying Hela as the, the evil, you know, person, the evil creature, the evil deity. And uh, I watched the movie and I was just like, I was like, oh, hell no. <laughs> but I didn't finish it. and I was like, should I write this? I don't know if I should write this. And um, I was I felt him appear Thor appear to me. In my office and I was like, "What are you doing here? Why are you stinking up my office with your body odor <laughs> now? And, um, and he really wanted me to write, to continue writing it, to, to finish it, to finish it right away, to finish that article about how hell was portrayed in the movie. And I don't know why, necessarily, but I bargained with her. I actually made a bargain with Thor. <laughs> I said all right, you know, you're known for your strength. Will you give me the strength to write something else at a later time? And he said, done, you know, and he was just out of the room. And I was like, all right, well, I guess I have to write this article for Thor now. (laughs) Um, So that's kind of like a comical way. Like we understand each other. We respect each other. Um, I don't really think that I work with him so much, but, um, you know, when they appear they sometimes want something from us sometimes we want something from them that's usually the case um but yeah it's it's interesting to have those experiences um the only other story that i wanted to tell was when i met my news spirits for the first time <clears throat> and so um, i'm a writer as you we talked about and I love writing. And, you know, I've, I've done a lot of different arts. I'm a fire dancer as well. I've done pottery, poetry, uh, dance, all kinds of dance. And it's really fun to be creative. You know, I knitted scarves and it's wonderful. But um, I feel like um, I got really deep into creativity when I was writing these long hours. And um, I remember as I was typing away, I would see this little spirit from the corner of my eye kind of like uh back into the left um kind of like just sitting kind of like catechord behind me in a way and and i remember being like how did a spirit get in my house through my wards and i looked at it and it was gone like it was just disappeared um and i was like okay that's weird went back to writing and uh a, a while later like I noticed that I saw it again, and I looked. I was like, "What is that? Who is that? Like, what's going on here?" It was about the size of the cats, and it was about um, the shape and the coloring of like my black cat that I had at the time. Um, but it wasn't my cat, <laughs> and um, it disappeared again when I looked at it directly. So I was like, "Okay, time to hatch a plan. I'm going to not look at it directly the next time I see it in my peripheral vision." and see what i can tell about it and it would always show up when i was writing when i was doing this deep creative work i was falling into this creativity and <clears throat> so the next time it showed up i just kept going and i realized like this was showing up when i was being really inspired it was like these words were like flowing so well and it's almost like something greater than i was was coming through like i was like i I'm an okay writer, I'm a pretty good editor, you know, when it comes to writing books and stuff, but um, good stuff was coming through. So yeah, I started looking at this and I could tell it was like, it had like this crow-like visage, you know, like it looked like this crow, a giant crow, but the more I looked at it, it looked like it had like a little waistcoat uh, on (laughs) and like a little top hat and, It was like uh, what they call a gentleman crow. If you Google that, you'll see a couple of images of it, but I'd never seen anything like that before. But I realized it was the muse spirit because of how I was writing how well it was coming through me. And so I started to work with it and develop practices with it. And curiously, like I make offerings to a lot of spirits or deities, you know, this Guy did not want anything at all. (laughs) He just wanted me to write and create. And so that was my offering to him. And, you know, I I developed a magical practice with him and actually wrote a book about it. It's going to come out sometime next year through Lobelan. Uh, It's called Inspiring Creativity with Magic. So um, find that story. And also like how you can use elemental correspondences to get into the flow of your art how to work with like the spirit of your art, whether it's like the muse spirit, the genius, um, the egregore of your arts uh, and all of that kind of stuff.
0: Oh, that sounds absolutely fantastic. And I have to say that the, the muse spirit there as a, crow with a top hat that is the most creative (laughs) spirit i've heard of in a while so i guess it's fitting with the energy that's coming through it wow fantastic i look forward to that book when it comes out that sounds absolutely amazing um astrea in the moments that we have left can you do you have any words of wisdom for our listenership that you'd like to impart to them
1: uh, yeah, I would say um, use protection. <laughs> it's always smart. If you want to learn about protection, there are a bunch of books out there. I think a good combination is like asking your ancestors to um, help protect you, uh, working with the spirits of the land, you know, uh, making offerings to them and asking them for their assistance and success, and then having some like repositories of intent out there. So I do go over some of that stuff in intuitive witchcraft, how you can protect your home. And then having like personal protective properties or uh, things as well, like jewelry, um, some tattoos can be protective. Um, You can think of a bunch of different like clothing, some of your clothing can be magically protective. Um, And then, you know, sensing whether the spirit's good or bad, not necessarily believing that a spirit's always gonna be good just because it's making its presence known. Um, I really love having an ancestor altar in my home. It's really helped, I think, and having the practice of offering them, you know, a big meal around Samhain or Halloween is a helpful practice. Um, I actually listened, like, I have a conversation with each of the spirits at that time to kind of like get insights about my life too, and like what they think, um, how they can help and that kind of stuff. Um, And I would say, don't be uh, afraid or shocked by everything necessarily. You know, if you feel like you can talk to them, you can learn a lot of different things. Like I've had these experiences, most of them, because I didn't freak out at first. I was surprised. I was shocked. I think that's natural, but not running away, like staying for a dialogue, as long as you feel safe and you're not in danger, Um, you're not afraid of, you know, what's going to happen to you. you have a sense that everything's right. You know, I think that you can learn a lot from spirits if you're willing to listen to them.
0: Absolutely. Well, you, you pretty much (laughs) laid out a complete and a complete spiritual path there. So that's pretty good. (laughs) I love it. Yes. People definitely consider what Estrella just said, because that, that is, is very cohesive, you know, think about cleansing Think about protective amulets, and then also, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Fantastic. Well, Estrella, thank you so much for joining me here on the podcast today. Uh, talk to you soon. Bye bye.
1: So much. Bye.